Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This is an Irish Independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily. Unsolved. A right royal scandal and the case of the missing Irish crown jewels. The theft of the Irish crown jewels from Dublin Castle in 1907 was one of the world's most notorious heists of all time. The story even made the news headlines across the globe. Now, the hunt for the thieves grabbed the nation's attention with all sorts of theories, including a gay scandal in Dublin Castle and aristocrats being accused of the theft, right through to the use of psychics and even Sherlock Holmes' author coming in to help solve the story of who done it. The address is 221B Baker Street, where live the shades of Dr. Watson and the man who solved the Code of the Dancing Men, Sherlock Holmes. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today I'm joined by Sunday Independent columnist Sarah Cadden who dons her detective hat to help me look at how the theft of the Irish crown jewels almost destroyed the British royal family. Sarah, I guess the first question is to ask you exactly what the Irish crown jewels were. So the Irish crown jewels were, um, there was a star and a badge and there were also five colours for the Knight of the Order of St. Patrick, which were kind of um, like the Order of the Garter, an equivalent of the Order of the Garter, um, of which there were several knights and the last of whom would have died only in 1974. And the crown jewels had been presented to Ireland by King William IV in 1831. Some of the jewels had been taken from the collection of Queen Charlotte and it was worth about, the crown jewels in total were worth about £30,000 then, which would be about £3 million today. So Sarah, like, do we know how, what form these jewels took? Were they necklaces, bracelets, rings? There was a star and a badge set with Brazilian diamonds. There were emeralds, rubies. Um, the, the pictures of people wearing them, you kind of think a very, very ornate kind of mayoral chain, you know, but with lots of beautiful stones. And there was also the badge was on a, a ribbon. So not unlike, you know, a medal. And then the collars of the of the knights were also encrusted with precious stones. So really beautiful and really, really priceless. Yes, and there was a special safe in which they were kept and it was to be housed in a tower in Dublin Castle within a strong room built 
almost especially for the crown jewels. But the problem was that the safe was too large to fit through the door of this, of this purposely built strong room. And so they were kept instead in the office of um, Lord Vickers, who was Sir Arthur Vickers, who was the Ulster King of Arms. He plays a huge part in this story, uh, Sarah. Um, I just I was trying to stifle a giggle there where you were talking about the, the planning blunder that was the, the door too small to allow a safe through. Yeah. And I suppose the thing about this whole thing is that, you know, you have moments in it where you think that the whole thing seems a bit Irish. And that might have been part of the whole problem with maybe even investigating the theft in, in a proper way. So um, Arthur Vickers, he was basically the boss of Dublin Castle and he his second in command was a guy called Francis Shackleton, who was the brother of the explorer. Um, and he, uh, the two of them were Maria in charge. But when the jewels were stolen in July 1907 or discovered to be stolen in July 1907... It emerged that they were all having a high old time in Dublin Castle. There were great raucous parties. There was a lot of dressing up was described, drunkenness. Vickers doesn't seem to have been particularly vigilant with his keys to his office where the jewels were being kept safe. And even on one occasion, um, uh, Lord Haddo had taken the keys from him while drunk taken the jewels and posted them back to him as a prank. So this is kind of what passed for fun and games in in Dublin Castle at the time. So when it was discovered in July 1907 that the jewels were not in the safe and that was just somebody happened to go looking for something else, nobody could really remember having seen the keys for several weeks, which obviously was the first problem. So the alarm is raised then. The jewels are missing and Sir Arthur Vickers is scratching his head because he's saying he doesn't have a clue as to what happened to the jewels. And then, as you referenced, in the meantime, the lid had been blown on this very raucous atmosphere at Dublin Castle. Also kind of embarrassing was that the king was due, uh, King Edward VII was due in a matter of days to a big uh, show that was on in the RDS and he was due to wear the jewels. So this was a bit of a disaster and there were just layers and layers of embarrassment. You know, you also put it in context. Home rule was a massive issue at the time. So for the, you know, the the nobility running the show from Dublin Castle to be shown to be behaving in such a way wasn't a great look. So, Sarah, this story is growing legs, right? You have the British involved The Irish are hearing this story for the first time. It's actually then kind of having a rippling effect and making global headlines. Um, And the investigation starts. So you have the Dublin Metropolitan Police posting like a crazy reward um, for any information on the jewels. Yeah, there was a reward of £1,000, which was absolutely enormous at the time when you consider that the jewels themselves were worth £30,000. 
And, you know, there were three kind of strands of suspicion it, that it could have been Republicans who stole them and sent them to America to be sold, broken up and sold and raise money for the cause. Then there was another idea that it could have been unionists who stole the jewels to to cause embarrassment for the English government whom they feared were going to start properly um, looking at home rule. And then, you know, the finger of suspicion was very much pointed at Vickers. He was the person who should have been um, making sure that they were safe and had he actually had something to do with their loss. And because there was such potential for um, the British to be left very red-faced in all of this, amidst all the scandal coming out of Dublin Castle, they sent in Scotland Yard to investigate. Yes, and there was a, there were always rumblings that Shackleton was responsible. He and a man called Gorges, who was reported to have been his lover, Shackleton had huge debts. He sounded like he lived a kind of risky life, and he had that he had stolen the jewels um, to to raise money to pay off his debts. And the two of them are supposed to have conspired to steal the jewels, take them out of the country, break them up, and sell the stones and the metals. Uh, Shackleton had considerable um, debts, and this this theft was supposed to cover them. I mean, it was also suggested that, again, it was a second prank because um, the ribbons that, that were attached to the badge and to other uh, the collars were left in a box, in their little nice velvet box, you know, in, in the safe. So there was speculation that maybe someone had planned to return them. Also, it, was, it suggested that they'd had quite a bit of time, that they'd been in no rush to steal them because there were little pins that had to be unscrewed in order to, to take the, the metals and the jewels away. And so that was again, you know, this that it was very much indicated an inside job and someone who knew where to go and what they were doing. And also probably that they weren't very well regarded. It's perceived now that nobody really wanted this to be the case because if it was Shackleton, it really brought up all the kind of shenanigans that were going on in Dublin Castle. And it was much easier to say Vickers had had something or to at least insinuate Vickers had had something to do with it and let that be an end to it. Vickers was sacked, Shackleton was sacked and Vickers retreated to um, his home in Kerry where he later died, you know, quite dramatically. His house was attacked several times by Republicans and in the end was set on fire and he was uh, killed as he as he fled the house. So he, after his death, his will, quite interestingly, went into great length about how really he had ended his, ended his days in great bitterness at how he had been made a scapegoat. He very much blamed Shackleton for the um, for the theft. And back to the investigation, Sarah. There were some very quirky aspects um, to how it was being investigated. And like even in this day to have the likes of psychics uh, enrolled. And I think you had even Sherlock Holmes author, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle getting involved in the search. I mean, this is an incredible story. 
black shag is stored in the Persian slipper. The 7% cocaine solution is another vital clue. And if you're still in doubt, consider the case history of the violin. The address is 221B Baker Street, where live the shades of Dr. Watson and the man who solved the code of the dancing men, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle was Vickers' uh, cousin and he came over to Dublin to investigate what had happened. Again, he said it was Shackleton and he uh, wrote a story later that very much is thought to be based on the theft of the Irish crown jewels. But it was, a st- you know, their, their whereabouts, you know, there were the rumour mill was, you know, hot on it really for a long time after, even up to 1927, when the then Taoiseach uh, W.T. Cosgrave was said to have received a letter from a Dublin jeweller who had apparently had been contacted it was Weldon's Jewellers which I think is still there at the end of Clarendon Street and uh, they said that they'd been contacted and that the the crown jewels were on the open market and were for sale for um, between two and three thousand pounds at the time. But the sums of money are interesting too because sometime after the theft, the male newspaper had published a story that Vickers' mistress had made a copy of the keys that he we have learned had a habit of leaving lying around and that she had stolen the jewels and gone off to Paris and sold them and that was that and Vickers sued the mail and he won £5,000 in damages which you know the reward was 1000 and the jewels themselves were worth 30000 so you know that was a considerable <laughs> sum to win and he retreated back to Kilmorna House in Kerry and, as you say, ended his days there very much feeling hard done by. I mean, maybe the worst thing he was guilty of was being a bit lackadaisical about having the crown jewels in his office. But he very much felt that he had been the fall guy. I mean, I think that being pranked 20th century style is actually quite funny, you know, having the keys taken and then sent back to you, you know, as a reminder of, oh, bit sloppy there, Vickers. Again, it was a time when the English very much needed to show that they were in charge and they were capable of being in charge. And this wasn't how they wanted to be presented to the Irish people. That they were being casual about the keys, casual about the jewels, casual about their behaviour and, you know, behaving in a way when an awful lot of people were living in huge poverty, they were being massively self-indulgent up at the castle. What of Francis Shackleton? Do we know what happened to him? Uh, Some time later, he was jailed for theft and fraud and he disappeared in um, the mid-1910s, apparently changed his name and really was never heard of again. Um, But Vickers carried him around with him to the end. A kind of note in in his will referred to him as brother of the explorer who did not make it to the pole. So they, he, it, 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 the name really wasn't held in much esteem by Vickers. Sarah, finally, will we ever find out what happened to Crown Jewels? Will it remain a mystery? Well, I mean, you could say that it would be interesting to know what the Weldon jewellers were told and if they ever knew from whom that information came and if they ever knew what then happened. Uh, W.T. Cosgrave was very much of the opinion, it seems, that 
they were the property, the jewels were the property of the state and that, you know, I don't think there was an eagerness to get into, you know, trading for them or paying for them. But uh, so they certainly never came into the ownership of the state. Are they out there somewhere? Were they melted down? Were they broken up? No one knows. And a huge thanks to Sunday Independent columnist Sarah Cadden for joining me today. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by myself, researched by Garrett Mulhall, with sound by Niall McMonagall. Archive clips from RTE, the BBC and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.